reading for this Sunday is Mark chapter 8, and I think you can see how it fits in with the idea of, of uh, the, the cross coming up and Easter on March uh, 31 this year. As we turn to Mark chapter 8 at verse 27. And Jesus is at a place called Caesarea Philippi. It is a, a town named after Caesar. It, uh, there were two such towns in Israel. One is in the north and one is by the sea. And this one is in the north and that's at Mount Hermon. And it is uh, a place where, as you can see in the name, Caesar's revered and there was even Caesar worship. And so we're going to read at verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, who he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels." As far as the reading from God's holy word. The scripture for the sermon today is Mark chapter 8, verse 27. And I couldn't fit the whole title on the spot in the bulletin, but it's missing a word. And the whole title is, Don't Ever Be Ashamed of the Glorious Lord Jesus. So I had the word ever there because uh, that's the whole title. We'll have prayer. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that Jesus instructed his disciples uh, 2,000 years ago in this northern part of Israel. And he instructs us today. As he is here, uh, where two or three gather in his name, in his spirit, he is teaching us. And Lord, we pray that we would be those who learn, we would be the disciples. And so we, we pray that, that we too would, would have that blessing of receiving instruction from the Lord. 
and that it would change our, our life and, and change the way uh, we would uh, make decisions. And Lord, we ask now that the preaching would be faithful and that you would be our, our rock and our redeemer. And we ask this in the name of your son, amen. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi and the way he asked them, who do people say I am? And we see in their answer that there was great confusion in the ancient world as it is today regarding the identity of our Lord. At this time, uh, the report was that some say that he was John the Baptist. Others thought him to be Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Now our catechism kids know that they got part of it right, that he was a prophet. That the work of the prophet is to bring God's word to the people. And Jesus certainly was a prophet. In fact, he was a great and final prophet. So that part they had right, but they didn't understand who he was, but Peter did. And Peter is often the one who pipes up and, and gives the answer first. Sometimes he's right and sometimes he's off base, but here he had the answer perfect. When Jesus asked the question, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. Now you need to realize what you're saying when you confess that Jesus is the Christ. Okay, Christ is not the la his last name. Christ is a sacred title. From Christos in the Greek, Messiah in the Hebrew, that would be the translation as, as it would go into the various languages here. And it refers to, if we put it in our English, it refers to the anointed one. And we see this in the book of Daniel in chapter 9, the mention of this anointed one who's a very special person. Also in the book of Daniel is this one who's called the Son of Man, and Jesus also uses that title regarding himself. But Peter has it right, and Jesus gives a blessing in Matthew's gospel, and uh, Jesus uh, uh, here uh, warns the disciples. He warned them in verse 30 not to tell anyone about him. Now that seems really strange because what are we supposed to do as Christians? We're supposed to tell about Jesus. We're supposed to tell the story of the gospel. We're, we're to be um, speaking about he is a Christ. But at this time, uh, people had a lot of misunderstanding. And so he didn't want them uh, to have the wrong idea. And so this is called the messianic secret in Mark's gospel, where Jesus says, don't tell anyone about this, all right? They had to keep it a secret that he was a Christ. Now, people understood this. They would think in terms of Republicans and Democrats. They would think of a political solution to their problem. After all, uh, they were uh, ruled and oppressed by Rome, and uh, they needed to get these guys out of the country in terms of their thinking, and uh, that's what we'd want as well. And so they would be thinking, if the Messiah was here, there would be a political solution to their problems. 
And now we look forward in our country to elections coming up in November, and we certainly hope that the person that, that we're behind wins, and the person we support uh, turns out to be the one who prevails. Uh, but even if that happens, it's not gonna solve all our problems because our problems are more than political in our country too, in our own lives especially. And we, we have problems that need to be addressed uh, by the Christ, and our, our country is in need of a, a great uh, revival and reformation. Uh, we need more than a political solution, and the people did in Jesus' time as well. But now they understood that he was a Christ, and this is important in, in the gospel. I mean, in chapter 1, as we've seen, uh, the demons knew this from the time they saw him, uh, that he was the Son of God. But here, uh, Peter comes to a realization after all they've seen miracles and they've heard Jesus teaching. And, and so who, who do you say I am in, in contrast to the people with their uh, misunderstanding? We have a lot of misunderstanding in our day. A lot of people... Think of Jesus in the same category as Buddha and Confucius and, and uh, other uh, religious leaders, Muhammad perhaps, you know, just in the same category. And that, that's how they think, or they think Jesus is a great teacher about some things. We'll, we'll, we'll decide what those things are. But the church needs to have a, a different view and one that's, very precise, and one that's very accurate, and one that comes from revelation, from revelation, that we know that Jesus is a Christ. And so we start with that, that Jesus is a Christ. He's the Son of God. Uh, he's the one who can teach us what we need to know. In verse 31, with that realization that he was a Christ, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, Jesus here taught his disciples a very hard lesson, one they didn't want to hear, and they hadn't really grasped before. And our passage says that he spoke plainly about this. And so when you think of our Lord here, he's caring for his friends, his disciples, in that he's mentally preparing them for something that's going to be very traumatic, that's going to affect them greatly. And he tells them ahead of time because they are his friends. And we do this with various things in our life. We, we have some things that we know are coming up and we have a, a friend or somebody we know that's gonna impact and so we, we give them a heads up. We tell them ahead of time that you know, this is gonna, gonna happen. And so this is what Jesus does to his disciples here. Yeah, for instance, if, if I would be gone next Sunday, March 3, uh, you, you, you would, wouldn't expect to come to church and find that out. I mean, that might have happened once or twice because of something unusual. 
but you would expect me to have the courtesy to tell you ahead of time. I wouldn't say, well, that's my business. Uh, I don't need to tell you because it affects you. And so here, Jesus is telling his disciples ahead of time. So that when it happens, it's not going to blow them away. It's not going to you know, ruin uh, everything because now um, it's taken a turn here that was unexpected. Jesus is telling his disciples about his suffering and death, and they're going to go through this horrible experience as well. And so he's preparing them. And he spoke plainly that he must suffer many things. And so in the Old Testament, we have prophecies regarding his suffering. In Isaiah, there's this picture of the servant of the Lord, various passages. In Isaiah 53, we find out the servant is going to suffer. He is a suffering servant. And Isaiah wrote, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. And then later, after the suffering of his soul, you see the light of life and be satisfied. And so we have passages in the Old Testament that speak of this servant of God who is going to suffer. In Psalm 22, as we approach uh, Good Friday, this is a psalm that really lays out the suffering of the cross in Psalm 22. And we read in the passage, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. We have these passages in the, in the Old Testament, and they have to come to pass. Jesus has to fulfill them. And so he tells his disciples that he's going to be rejected by the people that they esteem, by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and three days later rise again. This was very shocking to the disciples. And, and Peter, who seems to be the spokesman here in verse 33, he just ahead of this, he, he did it so perfectly. It was just such a blessing to hear. But now, what does he do? In verse 32, Peter took Jesus aside. He said, come here, Lord. Uh, we need to talk about this a little bit. And he began to rebuke him. No, this can't be the way it goes. Uh, you're, you're the Messiah. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So when our Lord's teaching first hit Peter's ears, it, that was unacceptable to him. And he took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. He said, no, that can't be the way it goes. He's doing the very opposite of what a disciple is supposed to do, 
having the attitude of what a disciple is supposed to have, namely that a disciple is to be teachable. Today, when you came to church, I, I trust you wanted to learn uh, the teaching of Christ. And so we need to be teachable and we need to be humble. That is, we're not going to be prideful when God tells us something. We're not going to look at it and make a judgment on it, but we're going to receive it we're with a childlike faith. In our time as Americans, we've grown very comfortable with all manner of disrespect uh, toward leadership and about every area of life. And you cannot do that in the church with the teaching of the Lord. Uh, you, you have to receive it. And we too will come across teachings in the gospel that, and, that will seem very hard teaching because they will be unacceptable to the natural man. And when Jesus rebuked Peter, he put his finger on the problem. He said, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And so that, that is a problem. When we're thinking about the things of man rather than the things of God, what, is, what does God want? What is God's plan? And Peter was severely rebuked. I, I'm sure when Jesus called him this name, I, he must have just been floored. Get behind me, Satan. That, that's tough. Somebody, somebody calls you a bad word. Some, so often you can say, well, consider the source, you know. Uh, but, you know, consider the source here. I mean, it's Jesus. And he's the one who always speaks the truth. And he calls Peter Satan. How can this be? Well, it's very similar to the third temptation in the wilderness. Where Jesus is going to... Be the king, right? He's going to, um, he came as uh, the, the, the king of the Jews, and uh, Satan uh, says to him, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world, he said, I'll give you this. I'll give you all these kingdoms if you bow down and worship me. And that temptation is that you can be the king and yet avoid the cross. You can receive these kingdoms without going to the cross. All you have to do is take a different path instead of obeying God with all your heart. And so Peter was severely rebuked as Jesus called him Satan because it's the same temptation that was offered to him before. And the lesson here is that suffering comes before glory. In the Bible, this is stated various times in the letters of Paul and other places that we're, we're going to experience uh, a suffering at times. And, and so uh, people don't like to hear that. I don't like to hear that either, uh, that we're going to experience uh, sufferings. And yet in Revelation, in, in the church uh, the, the, the church that was uh, addressed there, Jesus said, you're faithful. Don't be afraid 
of what you're going to suffer, that you're going to suffer persecution for, for 10 days for a limited time. Uh, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, Peter says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Now, Peter here was surprised, and he doesn't want us to be surprised. So here we have to look at the requirements of a disciple. Uh, we, we see that the 12 disciples, of course, were, uh, were, were challenged uh, by, by the Lord, but it's, it's also for us, too, as uh, we, we're, we're given this uh, statement by Jesus that he gives in verse 34 after calling the crowd to him. So we're not just talking about the 12 disciples. We're talking about everybody. And he said, if anyone would come after me. And so here, here's a requirement of, of Jesus of all disciples, of all Christians, of anyone that would follow him, okay? It's universal. What do you need to do? He said, you deny yourself. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What does that mean? Well, you contrast that to the rich person in hell and in hell, all the rich person that lived for himself wanted well, at that time was just a, a, a little drink of water. And Abram said, I can't, I can't help you with that uh, because there's this chasm between us. But he said, remember in your life, you, you received all, all these good things. Well, his life was not about denying self. And what Jesus said here when he says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, it means that you are not the center of all things in your life, that it's not about you. When you start talking as a Christian, as if it's all about you, you, you need to realize what you're, you're going against the thoughts here of, that Christ is putting before us that it's not about you, that life is about serving Christ. And here's what he says, that it's not going to be easy. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You have to take up your cross. Now, Mark, John Mark, the writer of the gospel, uh, is believed that he was told of these events by the apostle Peter and the gospel went out to the, in the first place to the people at Rome. Rome ruled the world and one of their tools for knocking down rebellion was to crucify people that stood against them. And so when Jesus said, you have to take up your cross, that was something very real to them. And so Jesus is going to suffer and die, and we're going to follow after him. That means we have to do uh, something similar. He said, take up your cross. And so you're going to identify with Jesus then in his suffering. This word that's for every disciple. 
And God's going to choose your cross for you. And it's not a sickness here. It's, it's that we're going to face persecution. If we follow Christ, the world's not going to cheer about that. They're going to be opposed to it. The world's going to be opposed to it. And, but there's your cross, uh, the crossbar that Jesus carried to the place of crucifixion. And what Jesus is saying, you want to be my disciple, pick it up. Carry your cross. Take up your cross and follow me. And so we need to be following Christ in our life. That, there it is in summary. And in order to act on, on his requirements, Jesus uses a paradox. And a paradox is a seeming contradiction. And here it is. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. If you want to save your life, you'll lose it. If you want to lose your life for Christ and the gospel, you will save it. You'll save your soul. And it, it seems to be a contradiction, but it's really not. If you live for Jesus, you'll have that genuine life. And so our choice to be a disciple is put before us here in verse 36. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? You see here, our choice to be a disciple is extremely important. Some people are going to be willing to sell their soul. For what? For money, for farm, for fame, uh, for something that they prize in the world. And Jesus is saying here, your soul is priceless. Your soul is priceless. So keep that in mind. It's more than just this life. And we see this also taught later by the apostles, Peter and Paul that we're gonna go through suffering, but that is going to show that we're really believers. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul said, we know brothers loved by God that he's chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, with power of the Holy Spirit, deep conviction, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. We see that faith is proved genuine by suffering. One of the ongoing tasks that we're going to face as followers of Christ, and it's not going to be easy, but one of the tasks that we're going to face is, is similar to the, the test that Peter faced when he said, Lord, I'll never... I'll never deny you. I'll always stand with you. But the, the question here is whether we'll be ashamed of Jesus before the world. In verse 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And so Jesus leaves us with a question. Will we be ashamed of him 
in this generation. And he described it in his day as adulterous and sinful. Those words are very accurate for our time also. This isn't a, a very sinful generation. This is a very adulterous generation. And Jesus has put before us the gospel, which we're to regard as precious, which we're, we're to esteem. And we need to be ashamed of the truly shameful things, but never ashamed of the cross of Christ. We should be ashamed of our secular view of life when it's like, hey, we, can, we got this. We can live without God. We should be ashamed of that when it's, in fact, God's world. This is my father's world. And we need to be ashamed of the rebellion of our culture around us. But we cannot be ashamed of Christ. Now, why would people be ashamed of Christ? Well, they would be ashamed of his, of his teaching. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words. And so if we're going to change the words of Christ in our time, uh, we're, we're going to be failing him in this. And if we fail the test, Jesus will be ashamed of us when he comes. Because if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory. When we think of Jesus' return, it's not going to be like he rode in the town on the donkey like 2,000 years ago, but he's going to come in glory. And he's going to come with the holy angels. And we, we just can't comprehend that. You know, all the angels of heaven come and, and Jesus is going to be such an awesome sight. We want him to claim us. We want him to say, that, that's one of my people. But if we deny him, if we're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of us at that time. So here's a, here's a requirement for being a follower of Jesus. When you hear the instructions of the Lord, don't be fooled into thinking that you know better. All right? And go through different passages of scripture, different teachings. You can't look at that and say, oh, Lord, no, we're going to change this. Remember who the Christ is who the teacher is. And when you think about your Christian faith right now, there should be some semblance of sacrifice, some semblance of suffering that you're willing to go through uh, to serve Christ. Your soul is more important than the greatest prize that the world can offer. And when you hear the Christian faith being mocked, Stand up for the Lord and his church. Because remember, someday you'll want him to claim you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given your son Jesus to suffer and die on the cross, uh, even to bear the shame of our sin as he took our sin upon himself. And uh, we ask that you would put your love before us as we Go to the communion service, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.